Hey gang, welcome to episode 29, wow, of No Persinium, your podcast about immersive and interactive theater and its ilk. Oh, so much of its ilk. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, captain of the No Persinium. This is my first mate, Chewbacca. Yeah, that was inevitable. One Every time I said the captain of No Persinium, I knew I was going to do that at some point. So I chose today, and I chose it in the spur of the moment. Spontaneity. Spontaneity, y'all. It's coming back. Um, Hey, we've got a really fun episode uh, this week. We've got folks from ThinkWell. We've got got Dave Cobb, who is the uh, VP of Creative Development at ThinkWell, and members of his Brain Trust, which includes friends of the show, Dana Shaw. We've got uh, Kate McConnell and Jeremy Thompson. Jeremy, who plays a starring role in this week's anecdote, uh, which we'll get to in a second. the newsletter for this week in Los Angeles has yet to be made, uh, so I don't know exactly what's going into it yet. I do know that uh, there will be a mention of an article by friend of the show, Abel Horwitz, uh, who wrote about a thing called Snowball Parties, uh, or, or the Snowball Party in Los Angeles. Now, I need you to get your mind out of the gutter if you know a certain definition. Just set that aside and come back to the idea of a party that starts small and snowballs into something bigger. Because that's what these guys at the Bew Comedy have built. Uh, Abel writes up a great note in the LAist about it. There'll be links in the newsletter. Uh, You know, San Francisco and New York people, you want to check this one out. It's a very interesting design concept for getting people to interact. There's a little bit of your treasure hunt, a little bit of your ARG. Um, It's more party-based, but when they do another one in January, you better believe that I'm going to try and be there and that we're going to hopefully have it in the newsletter. There is so much stuff going on around. Return to Forever House has sold out. Uh, which I'm like crying over because I wanted to go see it, uh, trying to figure out all sorts of stuff. Uh, Birdie tells me that Intertext is coming back. We've got uh, The Grand Paradise is going into previews in New York. Hinge just happened in San Francisco. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on, but the thing I want to talk to you about, and that's going to make our episode longer than usual today, uh, even this part probably, is the industry's hopscotch. I mentioned Jeremy a minute ago. Um, He was very, very kind. And uh, when a series of unfortunate events led to the person he was going to take uh, as part of his party of four uh, not being able to make it into Los Angeles, uh, he offered up the ticket. um, And and I was able to go see, it was the green line on the last performance of the last day that included the finale. And and now at this point, they've done a fire sale on the AV equipment. So like Hopscotch is done, y'all. Uh, this makes me angry. Um, I know I've been sort of all over the map on Hopscotch. Uh, and, you know, I've been, I'm sort of frustrated with the experience because it was just announced like when I had no time to go catch it. But, but the, the luck came through. And let me say, I've been going to a lot of experimental work lately. Um, 
most of which is defining itself as experimental. And that's fantastic because some things have worked and some things haven't in a whole bunch of the stuff that I've seen. I mean, that's just generally true, but you know what I mean? Like there's not, there's not necessarily a lot of polish and sometimes like the ideas are way better than the execution. Uh, I want people to be doing that all the time, but it, it, it adds up, right? Like you start to wonder, well, like, can anyone really like nail this stuff? So once in a while you need something to come along that just knows what it is, has just bold confidence in what it's doing and basically says, Hey, sit backs, sit backs, sit back, relax, sit in this limo. Let me drive you to someplace you've never been before and show you something you never thought you'd ever see want to see, need to see, and yet as soon as you see it, you think, how did I ever live without that? That was hopscotch for me. Uh, It was amazing. Yuval needs to bring it back. Just needs to. I know he wants to do new stuff. He needs to bring it back. Um, Hopscotch could run every year. Hopscotch could run for a year. Hopscotch uh, would be technically very difficult to run for a year. I mean, this thing is massive. It's definitely, um, it's got the the vibe of a potlatch in that you know it is it costs more than it takes in. It is definitely art. Um, there's a thing that there's two things that truly great immersive does. One, ironically, it feels very cinematic. Uh, I don't have another word for it. You just, you feel like you're in a movie. Like a movie where you don't see the crew. And I just got this giant grin on my face. And I, and just thinking about it, I've been kind of down for most of the week because this week's news has been terrible. Um, this is just making me smile. Just thinking about it is making me smile. Thinking about the moments, thinking about being in a limousine uh, and watching a scene between the actor inside our limousine and an actor on a motorcycle outside the limousine. And they're both talking to each other, like, you know, with the window open. And then they stop talking with the window open and they start talking to each other um, through through microphones so that they're they're connected that way. And it's just, it's just magical. It's amazing. And right there... Um, there's there's moments like that and there's other moments that you know if you started to try to describe them it would sound like a crazy person explaining their dreams that for me is the litmus test of immersive right like a truly great and and the stingy part of me wants to say even a good right a truly great immersive should sound like you are failing to describe the most awesome dream you ever had because you just don't have the language for it. And if you start to successfully do it, there should be a look of confusion on a person who hasn't been there space. It's one of the reasons why when I see people talk about immersive theater or talk about immersive and they haven't been to Sleep No More or Then She Fell or Done Oho or Hopscotch, um, or they haven't been to a speakeasy society show, or they, they were never inside the Hamlet mobile. Um, and, and they don't start describing some weird dreamlike experience to me, uh, as their sort of proof. Then I feel like they're uninitiated. 
and we are initiated Bruce. Um, that's the thing, right? It's it's just <sighs> so Jeremy, thank you. And I say all this as a preamble in some ways to this week's show because uh, we recorded this a few weeks ago, long before I thought I was ever going to get a chance to, to actually see it. And I think I slagged the show. <laughs> I think I was just like pissy and knew I wasn't going to make it and was kind of being like, I'm upset with how they're doing it because of this, that, and the other thing. And, and you know, to, to be charitable... Um, to be charitable to the industry, this is really expensive production. It, it, it it's amazing what they've managed to marshal. The, the there's so much money got sunk in, and it's clear. It's clear to me. Definitely haven't been through it. Definitely haven't been lucky enough to be through it. That one, uh, they they there's no way they recoup the costs. No way in hell. And two, uh, it was worth it at at pretty much any price. Would I love to be independently wealthy and had the four hundred odd dollars to catch like all three tracks? Oh yeah. Um, did they make a concerted effort to make sure that they found ways to be accessible to people um, so that they could get a little taste of what was going on? They really did. They totally totally did the outdoor scenes in the public spaces were accessible to folks there was a walking tour in downtown la um so any time in the past couple of months where you've you've seen me be really cranky about hopscotch i'm sorry i'm sorry you've all uh i should not have been cranky i should have trusted um this is when you haven't experienced someone's work, you can sit from the outside and kind of go like, oh, meh. Um, well, I will never, meh, again, with Yval Sharon and the industry. Uh, I'm sold. I'm totally sold. I'm, I'm, I'm in the tank, as they say in politics, for the industry at this point. I felt confessional. I felt good. I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling fantastic now. No, I mean, really, I'm I'm smiling. I haven't been smiling all day, and now now I'm feeling feeling much better. Um, hopefully, you didn't stop listening to the show. Um, I feel like maybe I should jump back and like tell everyone like it's gonna be a long rant at the start. Um, please, if anyone from the industry is listening, please remount. If you can't do it next year, do it in 2017. Do it when the Olympics get here, you know, assuming they come to Los Angeles because they're going to cave and they're going to come to Los Angeles. Hopefully we won't have to build this stupid Olympic village because that's just garbage. Um, please do it again. Looking forward to the next thing. Um, we'll start to create a secret fund uh, for me to go see shows uh, out of whatever money I can scrounge up from people, uh, mostly meaning people meaning myself. Um, and again, Jeremy Thompson bless your heart you already know i've told you i owe you like five dinners and you can be my plus one to any old show um there's a lot of great stuff in this week's episode thinkwell is an experienced design group look we're talking themed entertainment we're talking um we're talking figuring out game stuff we're talking, literally, we're talking to people who have dramaturgy degrees and who are using them. i get into that in a bit. We're talking about folks who 
think about stuff at the atomic phenomenological level. I just butchered that word, whatever. Uh, and who are deeply passionate about people's experiences and about immersive ex experience and about immersive theater because of that focus in their lives. Also, it's about uh, a place, uh, a, a Valhalla-like location where uh, people who are nerds like us can actually have careers. Um, and, and up until recently, uh, it was only the freaks and cast-offs who wound up there. Frankly, I hope it continues to be the freaks and cast-offs because the idea that there's a, a um, institutionalized factory churning out experience designers now um, almost seems... I hit the mic. Um, frankly, I hope it gets to keep on being the freaks and cast-offs because the idea that there's a uh, experience design factory in school somewhere uh, churning out folks uh, seems almost counter to... Um, the need to have lived uh, in order to understand experience, but eh, that's a rant for a different day. Hey, uh, I'm thankful for you guys. I'm totally thankful for you guys. We'll get to that after the show. Let's do it. Here we go. We're going into Thinkwell with Dave Cobb and friends. Uh, Noah here. I just did the cold open a second ago, so you know what comes next. Uh, we're going to go around the table here at Thinkwell. We are in. We are in uh, uh, the basketball. Right, the basketball. It's, so one of our meeting rooms. All of the meeting rooms here are themed, of course. Yes. Comes to the territory. Yeah. This one's called the court. The court, and uh, the walls here are made out of a Harlem Globetrotters uh, basketball court. Yeah, recycled awesome. wood from the Harlem Harlem Globetrotters basketball court. And the voice you're hearing right now is Dave Cobb. I'm the uh, VP of Creative Development here at Thinkover. And he's not the only person around the table at the moment, so you're, you're going to notice that this isn't like the we're on top of the mic type sound. We're, we're surrounding the room. Uh, to Dave's right and my left is... Dana Shaw. I am a creative associate here at Thinkwell. And she's a, a friend of the, the show, a friend of the podcast, and one of my personal friends, and, and the nerd helped me get in here. Uh, <laughs> to Dave's immediate left is... I'm Kate McConnell. I'm a creative director here at Thinkwell. And at the end of the table... I'm Jeremy Thompson. I'm also a creative associate here at Thinkwell. Fantastic. So, um, first, what what is Thinkwell? Like what? And then there's an attendant question to that in about <laughs> five seconds. All right, I'll I'll dive in first. I, I like to describe it as the island of misfit toys. Uh, it is a, a very multidisciplinary group of people who create uh, live entertainment uh, in physical places, um, and and pursuant to your podcasts. Title. Uh, most of our stuff does not involve a proscenium. We deal in things like um, uh, theme parks, museums, uh, live shows, events, event marketing, um, and everybody here comes from that world. So we have people sort of from every single discipline in terms of design, from theater to architecture to landscape to media to interactive, and we put together stories in the real world. And, and the broad category that the company is referred to when we look at the trades is themed entertainment. Themed entertainment uh, or the experience economy is another Ooh. term that's been used for this. We currently call ourselves the experience company because while we come from theme parks, and it is uh, quite a bit of our work, it is by no means the majority of our work anymore because the techniques and tendrils from 50 years of theme parks around the, uh, around the world or more, if you start counting some of the earlier ones, that's become an industry now, 
and it's fed into other things like theater, like museums, like events. How? Here's a question. Uh, Dave, we'll come back to you in a second. But like, how did everyone else? And, and Dana, I'll hold off on you for, for a bit because I, I most because I know, and I'm like, I don't want to hear out right now. Uh, how did? Uh, well, yeah, no, you'll, you'll have your turn. Jeez, uh, I only overpower your characters in role playing games. So just like chill out. Um, <laughs> nerd break. Awkward. Sorry. Um, it's. Uh, and sometimes they're way too playful in this thing. Uh, how, did, how, did, how did you guys come to this, right? I mean, like, when I was a kid, this kind of job would have been my dream job. So, uh, like, did, did you just, like, fall through a, a, a hole in a haunted house and wind up here? I mean, like, did Willy Wonka kidnap you? Uh, what's, what's Kate, let's start with you. Uh, so I come from a theater background. Awesome! Um, That's what we like to hear. I'm a dramaturg, which is a term not many people have heard of, but I'm assuming in the in the no proscenium world, in the immersive theater world, many people will have heard of it. The fact that there's someone who's still identifies as a dramaturg and is actually getting a paycheck and not <laughs> out of a rep house is amazing. Yes, and I mean that's the thing. I, I sort of I stumbled upon this job. I, I was in uh, academia. I was teaching. You know, I was teaching playwriting and theater history and and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I moved out to LA, and I thought, well, maybe I'll work in television, or because a lot of theater people are working in TV right now. Um, and then I had the secret dream in the back of my head that I want to be an Imagineer. Um, and I happened to know some people at Thinkwell, and so I came here. And what I love is that I am doing dramaturgy. Dramaturgy is kind of editing and creating in 3D. It's 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 translating helping to translate the, the playwright's vision, that story, into the 3D world and being the audience representative. And so that's what we are, I think, but we are, we are the guest representative, the audience representative, um, to help design these, these experiences. Fantastic. Uh, so I got my start at a, uh, well, my interest in this came from a fairly young age. Um, I really got into roller coasters when I was young, and that just kind of became sort of the thing that I would do every year. Um, you know, I originally come from uh, Michigan, uh, so we had, like, it was most of the uh, theme parks we'd get around there, you know, mostly, you know, just big roller coaster based. Yeah. And so that was kind of my thing for a number of years. And kind of as I got into high school, like I always kind of said, like, oh, I want to like design coasters and, you know, build that sort of stuff, you know, when I was growing up. And kind of when I got into high school, you know, I, I went to an arts program and, and I kind of found like, you know, just the whole kind of coaster amusement park thing, it's not quite satisfying me creatively anymore. And I kind of went back and forth between, okay, well, do I want to, you know, maybe explore film or kind of these other things? And then eventually I kind of just got to the point where I realized, well, you know, just because, you know, I'm currently finding that, you know, the uh, kind of the amusement park world isn't, isn't satisfying me the way that I'd like to, doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, like there isn't like a possibility for me to kind of like really explore kind of more deeply and kind of, you know, look into this, you know, in a way that, you know, maybe people haven't necessarily looked at it in a way before. Uh, so I ended up, I, with the uh, goal of eventually working at a place like this, I went into college with a, uh, uh, with a major in philosophy. Uh, <laughs> then that was still with the ultimate goal of becoming like a, uh, a theme park designer, basically. It is amazing how many people with philosophy majors have managed to make really good careers for themselves. I mean, freaking well, Chris Hardwick was a yeah. philosophy major, well, right? To tell about and your then, website. Yeah, and so then ah. while I was in college, I started a website called Roller Coaster Philosophy. And basically, I just, uh, any time that I had uh, uh, the, uh, the ability to go to a park, I just would write a very long, detailed review about it, usually from a 
very intentionally a contrarian uh, viewpoint, just looking at all the little strange details or, you know, like bringing in whatever, you know, philosophical concept I could think of and applying it to theme parks, you know, uh, he uh, Heideggerian being towards death, you know, on a roller coaster, that sort of stuff. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, and eventually I just bought a one-way plane ticket out to Los Angeles. And, uh, <laughs> he showed up on a doorstep, like yeah. with a Paddington tag on his, on his coat, you know. No, but for real, like he shows up and shows a sam sample of his, of his writing, and it's this incredibly sort of deep thinking about something that people just sort of um, dismiss as uh, uh, nothing more than sort of thrill entertainment. Uh, yeah. he, did, he did this whole research project, and he's a, he's one of our, he's our guru on uh, the aesthetics of thrill. And he went Hegelian on us, like he he pulled out the dialectic of roller coasters. It was fantastic. It was, it was unbelievable. It was, yeah. Um, yeah, it's basically my premise was that roller coasters can be thought of in terms of uh, basically sort of like an emotional choreography, and you can kind of plot the the movements yeah. of a of a ride in that way. And the better coasters have like this, um, you know, very structured sort of uh, organization to the, you know the movements of the thrills and uh, you know, kind of the ups and downs. It's all in this very structured way, unlike the more kind of you know the uh, the. Uh, uh, whatever you want to call it. Like, 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 <laughs> I'm not going to say like a conventional coaster or even like the attempt mm -hmm. to like make a narrative, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's something about this idea of creating a, a, a visceral emotional experience that is somehow poetic and yet kinetic at the same time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? This idea that you can like move someone through space and in so doing elicit different states of being. Sure. And, mm -hmm. and sort of like structuring it that way. And that's one of the things I find interesting about the immersive space theatrically is that uh, if you you can either like be handing people the agency and then they need to go and piece it together or if you're constructing say like um, our favorite touchstone then she fell constructing a then she fell like experience a clockwork like experience mm -hmm. you're, you're thinking about all right what order are people going to experience these different things in and even like all right so then they're going to go up and then they're going to go down uh, you know you you could maybe put someone in a, like a mine cart into King's John's Ward and like <laughs> run them around, you right. know? Right, well, it's like what I like to call dark rides. I mean, dark rides like, yeah. you know, um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean or, or a Haunted Mansion or, or Transformers or any of those things are basically like a, an assembly line with story context. Right? Yeah. It's taking the mechanics of, uh, of automated industrial technology, but making all that invisible and trying to immerse people in if it, sometimes a full story sometimes an a to b story story for us is a loaded word because sometimes it's it's very detailed narrative sometimes it's just opera it's operetta if and and spectacle of of tropes like like parts or haunted mansion and yeah. we can go into a whole, there's a whole podcast just about that about what story means in our world but i think kate said it best and that it it really boils down to it is about um being the guest uh agent and and finding what that agency is in the story world we're telling and whether or not that's a linear story or a presentational story in the case of something like a museum it's still getting story across in a way that is not your typical um, narrator or auteur or filmmaker or playwright way it's in a it's we're using different tools in different canvases basically yeah let's run the gamut here at the table Dana how did you get involved so, weirdly enough, I am also a dramaturg. 
we have that's right. We have two. This is rousy with dramaturgs. There's actually three on staff. Yes, three what? On staff. yes three dramaturgs. There's there's some friends of mine. I'm just going to tell listen to this and say like, look what you could have become instead of whatever office worker you are now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm hoping to direct a few people that I know toward this as well. <laughs> so, um, so I started. Uh, I studied dramaturgy in undergrad, and also in undergrad, I looked for uh, other ways to tell stories. So I started on a web series. I um, I worked actually my my senior project in undergrad was working with Carnegie Mellon's Entertainment Technology Center in uh, conjunction with the Black Women Playwrights Group. And we were creating uh, digital spaces, digital interactive spaces for uh, theater to live in. Um, and we, uh, that was a lot of fun. And I, I was fascinated by kind of the way that technology could interface with the real world to tell uh, really fun stories. So of course that led me to transmedia and um, I wound up uh, it's like the starter drug of all other medias in some ways. In a weird really way, it's, it's really hard, and at the same time, it leads to so many others. Yeah, it's like the weed of media. So <laughs> I, I, I started going to uh, some alternate reality game and uh, and Does transmedia conferences. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, met a bunch of awesome people. Uh, creative directed a a uh, indie darling alternate reality game, which was the highlight of. Like, it. I think that took a year and a half of planning. Uh, ran for four months where no one slept, um, and was one of the most creatively rewarding experiences of my life. And um, at the same time, I came out here uh, to go to grad school for screenwriting, and uh, just kind of, I, I connected up with a friend of mine who had who I had worked with at the Entertainment Technology Center. Um, and he was telling me about this really great job that he had. And I said, oh, that's an industry I really, I guess, kind of never thought about because it seemed like such a far off thing. But I guess I am in Los Angeles and not Pittsburgh now. So <laughs> like, it's a thing I could do. Um, so I came in and, uh, I guess got my mind a little blown by like all the all the things that that Thinkwell does because I definitely thought coming in that it was mostly going to be theme park stuff and that was really cool but we there's there was so, like such an interesting gamut of work uh, so I'm never working on like the same two to seven things on any given day. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave, you you're. You're in the big weeks here. How did you? Oh, hardly. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm the old one uh, of the group sitting here. Uh, I've been doing this for about 20 years. But I actually started. I was a theater nerd in high school. I studied filmmaking in college, and worked in a park in college as my day job. I was mm. a tour guide at Universal Studios. Sat on the train, talking about the back lot, and. Um, kind of fell into it because uh, 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 as I was finishing school and looking for professional work in, uh, um, in the movie industry, the writer's strike hit in 93. Uh, and so I was sort of at the tour twiddling my thumbs for a while and saw this job posting on, on the wall for something called Planning and Development, which is now called Universal Creative, but it was basically Universal's Imagineering Department. And it was an entry-level coordinator kind of position, but I, I got into it and realized, oh my God, this, people actually do this for a living. Like, I, I, I have the same path 
sort of aspirationally as a lot of folks here in that it was like, we had no idea this was here. And, um, and no idea that it needed people that weren't, from, for me, that weren't engineers, physical designers, artists. And we have all that, trust me, we have yeah. a lot of those. But we also, I also was just blown away by that there needs to be that writer, director, dramaturge voice yeah. um, at the helm of these things, or at least in concert with all of our designers. I remember as a kid in high school uh, thinking, well, I'm never going to be able to be an Imagineer, which, which is like everyone's shorthand for like, you know, this kind of work because like Disney's Imagineers. So that's in, in terms of the wider culture, yeah. that's like the only thing anyone knew existed. Right. And it, it always felt like, okay, you had to be a physicist, right. an engineer, you did some time at JPL, and you had this amazing imagination. And right. those were the only people who – that's what an Imagineer was or you could really, really, really draw. And I couldn't draw and yeah. physics experiments yeah. fail in my presence. Yeah. Like the yeah. rules of reality break down if I touch a piece of equipment. <laughs> I might be Kryptonian, but I can't fly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, it's it was frustrating. So like I I you know eh, that that's never going to be for me. And and moving to LA five years ago and starting to know how the, the world works, I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. There's like there's this entirely different part of the world. There's you just need like your generically creative, brilliant people to like be in there and like run with the ideas and drive those engineers insane with, yeah. with your madness. Well, yeah, and then, like, our tech guys and engineers uh, often say, which just always makes me laugh, they're like, look, Dave, uh, we, don't re we don't enforce the laws of physics, we just represent it. <laughs> so, uh, um, <laughs> what do you mean I can't hover that live performer over an open flame? <laughs> you know? uh, sorry, Dave, you can do that once really, really well. You know? um, but like, it's how Daffy became a star. <laughs> But you know what? It's it's funny you said that about Imagineering because I think a lot of people think that it's it's this mythic status yeah. and that uh, and I have a very similar story. When I was about eight or nine, my dad was um, a headhunter. He placed people in, in professional jobs and he placed a lot of project management and engineering style jobs at Imagineering. Um, mm -hmm. And one time I was he picked me up from school and had another little errand to run and had to run back there. And he says, "Oh, somebody will take care of you and they'll show you around while I'm in my meeting." It was like 20 minutes, and she, this nice lady in the late 70s, showed me the Epcot model. Oh my and, god! And everybody says to me, "Oh my god, was that the moment your brain unlocked?" And I say, "No, it wasn't, because <laughs> I associated with engineers. Yeah. It was awesome. It made me a Disney fan for life. And I, you know, I had a." blueprint of the Haunted Mansion over my desk in high school because I was obsessed with how do you make this thing feel so magical yeah. but I saw blueprints and I saw engineering yeah. and so uh, I never really put two and two together until that day that I found this job listing at the studio at Universal and realized oh well maybe there is this other part of it and and now that I have been doing it for so long you really realize that everybody that comes into this industry comes in a strange and bizarre path if you ask 20 people in this building how they do got to do what they do, either here or Disney Universal or any of these companies, um, you, they'll all have the same, they'll all have different stories. We're going to come back around to that idea and in terms of, particularly for the idea of like how they're almost like starting to build a pipeline because we are talking a little bit before the, the, the podcast started. But I do want to kind of crack in and, and talk about uh, immersive theater. I mean, Dave and I, the reason why we're doing this, both share a love of Then She Fell. Uh, we've like nerded out a little bit about it, um, every, and, and I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. And people will go like, "Oh, not this part of the podcast again!" Oh, again, <laughs> again. Don't worry, guys. Uh, the Grand Paradise is opening soon, and then we'll nerd out about that instead. Um, <laughs> everyone else's relationship with uh, immersive theater. So, like, what, 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 
where did you intersect with that? And feel free to jump in. This is this is a this is a sloppy sloppy podcast. So it's it's hard to say. I mean, it's it's one of those. I think I remember a friend going to see Sleep No More and telling me all about it, and and me thinking, oh my god, that sounds amazing. And then when I was out here in LA and couldn't get to New York, and you know, um, I think The Invisible Cities was one of the big ones for me, where it was just magical and uh, so exciting to be able to kind of um, wander through something like that and be in the real world and in another world at the same time and kind of mm. um, in that sort of liminal space. And, and you'd seen a lot of experimental theater anyway, oh, right? Yeah. Like yeah. tons of it. So <laughs> yeah. what was different about it for you when seeing something like Invisible Cities? Oh, man. That liminalness yeah. is a big one for me. I think so, yeah. yeah. It's... it's um, you go to a show, as experimental as it is, and they're still, I'm going to the theater. And this somehow, even though you know you were wearing the headphones on your head, the fact that you were wearing the headphones on your head and you were out there in the space and like, the show could wander off over that way. I don't have to wander off that way. I can sit over here and just watch the people in the station or, you know, watch the, the uh, libretto being projected up here or just sit in the garden and do nothing and just listen. Um, you know, I can I can fully create my experience of it. Um, I think that makes that's one of the things that makes it really different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love the sense that the, the the word liminal for this because it's for me it's always a blurring of the the world. Like, where does the show start and reality begin? Um, the other night, I went to uh, the Alone Experience, which built itself as an existential yeah. haunted house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, in my experience, it was a little mixed. Also, I'd never been to a real haunted house, so like I was having oh, these like okay. this sort of mix. And, it, and I wasn't trying to judge it as a as a haunted house. I was trying to judge it on its own terms, and even like narratively, like hit some buttons of mine. But the thing that I thought that was most interesting for me was coming out of it. I did look at the world a little differently, and I was like, "Oh, is that guy standing on the corner? Is he part of the experience? Is that is the girl who was in front of me? Yeah. Now she's smoking a cigarette. Like, if yeah. I were to approach her and talk to her, would she be freaked out thinking?" I'm one of the yeah. the cast members because I was already like playing around with other people in the space. Like you don't know if I'm in the show or not, right? Because yeah. I'm that kind of jerk. But <laughs> but it was like driving driving away and thinking like, God, wouldn't it be funny if like they like rammed a car into my car right now and all of a sudden like the the, the show is still going on? I was like, yeah, but that'd be a really expensive way for this show to end. <laughs> uh, but it'd be cool. Yeah. But that that sense of like, where where's the line here? You know, and, and, and you know, and that for us that level of of sort of emotional immersion that kind of doesn't have to apply to just theater or theme park. Like yeah. I had that, I've had that experience in museums. I don't know if anybody, your listeners or anybody here, has been to the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Yes. here in Los Angeles. If you haven't been, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil what it's about. But suffice it to say, that's an, a museum experience that plays with the liminal, that plays with what's real and what's not, and mm. what is authentic in it, and it questions the authenticity of museum curation. That's the whole point of that place. And I left that place looking at the world differently and looking at every museum I've been at since with a, with a different note above my head, right? And so that's because that place is a story and it, and it has a point of view. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that... And, and it reminds you that museums have a point of view, which is mm -hmm. something we, we 
accept them the way we used to accept the television news. Like right. it's right. the museum is like the television news delivered by Walter Cronkite. It's just the way it was. Right. When in reality they started as Wunderkommen, they started as people's private collections of stuff. So they we were, still have those. Which, which <laughs> they still are, right? You know, in a lot of ways. But 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 yeah, it's so for it's it's interesting that you, that you said that about alone because I, now I would love to take you to a, an actual haunt and because I go through I, I I'll go back to one of my first sort of exposures to immersive theater were haunts were the, the early haunts of like um, of Knott's Berry Farm back in the seventies um, mm. and the mazes and stuff they're the carny version obviously yeah. but they are stepping into a horror movie for lack of a better term and I love them and I'm addicted to them and and, and alone for me was a really cool experience because. Regular haunts don't scare me. I'm, I, the jump scares are fun for me. It's all adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. Alone had some of these some moments that are sort of tangibly creepy, and because you're by yourself, and it's not scary. None of the themes are scary, but it's the closest to walking through a waking Lynchian nightmare I've yeah. ever had because it is, by definition, sort of abstract and 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 meant to be isolating and odd. And yeah. so it's like a haunt done by art school kids, yeah. basically. You know. And so I'm fascinated by it. It's flawed. I don't love everything they've done, but I really applaud them for sort of taking the haunt model and saying, what if we took out the zombies and chainsaws and darkness and did something else? Yeah. Well, and there's, there's definite moments in it where I thought they could have even like gone farther into like what I call the cutesy mode. Because like in this one, they had like, you know, little little girls like dressed in like hoodie pajamas. Yeah, unicorn, the unicorn at the end. Yeah, yeah. the unicorn. <laughs> and like, and it started to feel like some kind of twisted episode of the Teletubbies and yeah. I started to imagine like, what if it was just a Teletubbies themed haunt <laughs> like that I think I mentioned it on a previous podcast too like that was, my, that was that was the other thought I came out of it was like how creepy could it be to just like let's just have this walkthrough experience that is like all those childhood PBS show tropes but everything's just slightly off yeah. that it would... doesn't even need to be slightly off <laughs> you should see the look on Dana's face yeah, she's, like, she's no, disturbed by the concept <laughs> Not a Teletubbies fan. Oh I'm no! Sorry, people who made Teletubbies. <laughs> I don't. I, who obviously listen. D- w- They're listening right now. I'm sorry. Dem, dem some freaks. Dem <laughs> some freaks. Um, where where are we? I don't even know where we are. This is great. We've we've, we've lost the track. Early, uh, early, early. Everyone's early experience. All right. So, you, you, King of the Roller Coaster. Yes. Yeah, so where, where did you really get a chance to experience? Uh, very much immersive theater until coming out to LA uh, a couple of years back, and I, I think I just I, like I, I immediately took to it, and it's honestly probably more than like a new coaster. It's probably the thing that I sometimes look forward to the most when I can go to a new uh, uh, immersive theater experience. I think just because like I, you know one of the things that I was always kind of looking for in theme parks and could never really find was just the sort of more like definitely like kind of more artistic. Uh, kind of auteur sort of uh, uh, frame of mind where you know you could really, you could really engage with it intellectually afterwards and uh, mm. you know kind of think about the various themes and I've certainly tried that with a lot of different theme parks and you know there's a lot you know that you can get out of you know like a parts of the Caribbean experience where you know you start the ride and you know all the you see all the skeletons and it's like okay so what does it say about time then you you know the first half <laughs> the rides you know it's everything's dead and then suddenly they're brought to life you know midway through. Uh, but you know, even still, like at that level, it's like there's not a whole lot to go on, and uh, and with immersive theater, it's it's like it's the same kind of experience. Like you're you know you're going to this place, and you know you're getting this, uh, you know, like this kind of really interesting story told in an unconventional way that you know you know it's dependent on your movement through the space and kind of how you interact with it. But 
you know, because it's not, you know, you don't need like an actual ride system or something to, you know, go through it that, you know, it's going to cost, you know, millions of dollars of engineering. It's, it, it creates a space for a lot of the, uh, for a lot of the really unique voices that, you know, can tell a story that, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell, you know, if you had a, you know, $5 million budget, you know, attached yeah. to it. Oh, that's, that's really interesting that it's like, there's an improvement. I often try when I'm explaining this yeah. to people who've never been, I'll often say, imagine that Peter Pan, as it is wont to do at Disneyland, broke down. But instead of waiting in the the ship, you got to step yeah. off and yeah. walk around right. you yeah. know, London. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and that's what this is like. It's like walking through a dark ride at Disneyland. And, yeah, and it really is. And, and, it's a, and that we see it very much the same. But it's also the hardest part in our industry of like, uh, uh, is describing what these experiences are to clients and, and friends. Like how how do you how did I describe you know sleep no more to, to friends? They'd ask what it is, and I'm like, well, where do I start? Uh, you wear a mask, and you know, and, you, and they're they're shocked from that. And so it it it's it, part of this is I think the audience is getting more. Um, educated and more aware of what these things are. Yeah. So for us as designers of things to sell back to consumers, we have a, a broader palette to use, but we also have a more willing audience because it's easier to understand when something isn't just a dark ride or just a proscenium show or just you know a, a, a traditional kind of entertainment. Yeah. The, the audience is getting more primed for that. And, and one of the crossovers between like theme parks and immersive theater, I find, is the fact that the medium is never fixed. You know, mm -hmm. in a theme park, you go from one ride to, uh, one ride to another, they're very different uh, types of experiences. You know, you can go, you know, from Splash Mountain, it's a log flume, that's one type of experience, and the show's gonna be presented to you in one way. And, you know, you go across, you know, to Haunted Mansion, that's another, you know, fairly different type of experience. And, you know, you can you get, you know, like the Legends of Frontier, uh, uh, Frontierland, which, you know, is a completely a different type of thing. Yeah. Every time, you know, every time it kind of breaks down your expectations of, okay, well, how am I, what's my relationship going to be to, you know, this uh, story that's going to be told to me? That's the same thing, I think, with a lot of uh, uh, immersive theater, you know, it's, in one uh, case, it's you're riding around in limousines and you know getting out and going into buildings. In another case, it's you know you're in one uh, you know you're in one stage, but you know it's like there's you know it's completely wraps around you and you you're sitting on boxes and, and that sort of stuff. And there's the the thing that to kind of talking about the different rides made me think of one of the things that I've always loved about seeing these different rides is so many of the Disney rides have these little doors. And they're not doors you get to go through. There's just like, oh, that's the door where, you know, Barbara Bear is sleeping behind that door. Or, mm. you know, here's this, um, the porch with the creepy guy sitting on it at the beginning of, of Pirates of the Caribbean. But there's the, the door to his house, you know. And there's these, these sort of like uh, imaginative worlds that are created, these sort of entry points where it's like, if you want to, you can imagine yourself into this world. You can be part of this world too. You can go behind this door. And so then in immersive theater... You get to do that. Yeah, the, the door is open now. I can step right. through. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and frankly, the challenge for us is that I I have to. I think all of us have to keep a, a bit of naysayer in the back of our head as designers. We love this stuff and we're very lean forward, but a lot of times the audiences we design for are not. Or, right. or there's always going to be a percentage of the audience that's lean back. Yeah. And how do you 
And theater, and immersive theater in particular, can usually take that risk of not really caring whether people lean forward or back. <laughs> um, f- uh, in our world, which is arguably a little more populist ac- applications of these things, we often have to find the happy medium. Well, and even, I think, like, the for, for established theater companies, and this is the very first time we did... Um, a conference. We did an unconference like a, a year and change ago. We called it Submersive. We did it at a, at a venue that sadly no longer exists because Hollywood's Theater Row has like imploded. And we had a number of uh, conventional theater, traditional theater people uh, come because they were curious. Like, well, how can we use this stuff to bring people into our theaters? To which some of us darkly chuckled that were like, mm, you can't. And I was sort of like, oh, I want to burn your theater to the ground. But like, that's, that's you know, and, and people often think like, oh, Noah's not interested in conventional theater. I have a theater degree, right? Like, I... I am secretly jealous of everyone who gets to go to Hamilton, even though officially I don't like musicals, right? Because I was one of the, one of the drama nerds. Like, musicals, whatever. Also, also, didn't know that I could sing until after college, and I was like, crap, I could have been into the woods. Um, but, uh, you know, and that's neither here nor there. The, the, the point being that um, I see traditional theater companies, they're trying to figure out, like, well, how do we engage with this? Because we see that younger audiences are, are flocking to it, and we want to maintain a, a be, be a vibrant part of the theatrical conversation. And I love that. I love that they want to do that. And you'll see people, like, you know, taking a few steps forward. Uh, Berkeley Rep just brought... Um, the hypocrites who do uh, they, they do pr- processional versions of Gilbert and Sullivan plays and even before I saw Sleep No More I had um, one of their shows was explained to me by, by a friend I'm like a, a friend of a friend and it was like I think it might have been of the Mikado which is like one of those pieces that like shouldn't be performed but like they, they'd arranged it and they did it as a three ring circus and there were balloons everywhere and and inevitably, people would wind up stepping on a balloon because like there was no fixed seating. Yeah. So you wind up stepping on a balloon, and if someone stepped on a balloon and exploded, the entire cla- cast would yell "Opa" and like <laughs> clap, and then go back to doing what they were doing. <laughs> and like you could sit anywhere in this three ring circus, and if you happen oh. to be in a spot that one of the, the the cast members needed to be for their number, they would just sh- you know scoot you out of the way and, and do what they were going to do. Yeah. So they're doing Pirates of Penzance in a, in a new studio space they have in Berkeley because Berkeley Rep, thanks to Tony Tacone, is like, you know, just consuming all of downtown Berkeley, at least somewhere in, in the Bay Area the arts is winning. And uh, I'm from the Bay Area, so I'm cynical about the Bay Area. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's exciting to, to see that thread of it happen. But there's, there's also this sort of, you know, this deep confusion about, you know, well, where do I put people, you know, where do they sit? And, you know, I, an episode that, that may air before this or may air after, I was talking to someone about uh, the day she'll declare it, and they were, they were you know, mm-hmm. some people didn't understand that they needed to stand, so they were, yeah. they'd bring out chairs yeah. for them, for the yeah. people who, who didn't know they had to stand. Yeah. And it's, and, and those concessions, it's like a lot of people come and go, what do you mean I can't sit down? Like, like, like. This is theater. Why am I not sitting down? You know, like people instantly like, oh, we will perform. Uh, we're standing. Let us perform a proscenium for you to perform in front of us. And it's like, you don't need to. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. You can be anywhere. It's, it's, it's all right. You have yeah. permission. But people don't understand that that permission thing. Um, yeah, I think that'll, that, that slowly change. that'll slowly change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're always going to have. And I think that's also dependent on the venue and, and who you're selling it to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, 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 I'm, I love telling the story of going to see I saw De La Guarda which is uh, 
um, uh, you know, this aerial dance troupe that um, uh, bungees and there's a paper ceiling above you when it starts and they burst through it and they oh. grab somebody and pull them through it. And, <laughs> and there's... Wait, an audience member? Uh, yeah. Yeah. They they, yeah. Hook, they hook a... a somebody, come, a stage manager comes and puts a, a rig on them and, and says, are you ready to go? And they pull them up. Yeah. I'd love to see the insurance it's, on that. I know. <laughs> it was in... It, now, it might have been a plant. Uh, to be honest, but I, I it sure looked real to me. But, uh, but, 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 my, but the reason I tell that story is it was it was this unbelievably cool sort of dance plus blue man group plus you know uh, um, big playground because by the end it's all this shredded paper and and there's water in the show so there's like paper mache stuck to your jeans and like it's messy like it's a big huge messy piece of theater. It was playing at the Rio in Vegas and I saw it and about half the audience was. A bunch of Vegas blue hairs, to be honest, mm-hmm. and who did not sign up for this, and slowly backed up against the walls during the performance, and <laughs> half a half of them made way to their way to the exit. And so it's like, yeah, certain things are just not going to play for an audience. And yeah, that's okay, and and because I think the audience that wants to be part of this stuff is seeking it out more and more, and 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 will take a chance on something, you know. Here's a question for the crowd, and this is something that came up at, at uh, dinner parties uh, long before No Percentage existed. Uh, the, the, we'd come together to talk about immersive theater, and uh, there's an idea about you know needing to design for the recalitrant, for the people <laughs> who they just don't want to play. And um, I appreciate that as, as a principle, but at the same time, I, I sort of wonder... I mean, look, if the show's about acrobats bursting through a paper s- ceiling and kidnapping people and taking them up into the sky, like, maybe there, maybe there's no hope for the recalitrant there. You know, it's just like, you, you, if you don't want to have the experience of being kidnapped by a giant eagle, maybe don't come to the show. But I mean, you guys in, in the themed world and everything you do, you're, you're having to deal with people who are unsuspecting, right? Like, they're here for family fun or they're, or they're, or they're being marketed in something. And they mean... Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I go to my, my immediate, because I taught this, I go, I go to Brecht and Artaud. Um, nice. And like, you want to alienate people, or you want to, you know, <laughs> subject them to the theater of cruelty. Um, and, and so, yeah, certainly you can have those kind of shows. But I also think about, you know, um, transmedia, um, which also I've also been involved in um, along with Dana, and, and the idea that in that sort of thing, and, and similar to the themed entertainment industry, you know, 80% of your audience is not the kind of deep divers. They're mm-hmm. not the really, really active people. Um, and then, you know, you start getting that, that small percentage at the top that's doing the majority of the work. Right. And then, you know, and, the, and that's small middle ground. Right. And that engagement pyramid that, that goes across lots of media and transmedia nowadays, mm-hmm. we call it the waiters, swimmers, and divers. Mm-hmm. Right. You, the majority of your audience is a waiter. They're going to dip their toe in. They're going to put the least amount of effort, but we still have to give them a show. I mean, and, and I'm talking our industry versus, say, a super cutting-edge experimental piece of immersive theater. Right. Mm-hmm. What we do is, is a higher, usually higher capacities, usually in service of a lot of the work we do is in service of uh, brands and other stories. Uh, what we're doing has an artistry to it, but is usually not academic or, or purely fine art in nature. Right. Right. So, okay, that, that, that means that a lot of our audience is going to be there for entertainment purposes only and, and not necessarily for exploring the wider world of dramaturgy and, and cool theater. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean we can't learn from those techniques. And so it's all about finding what that engagement pyramid is for us and 
what uh, every project we do is going to have a different set of demographics and a different set of a different uh, amount of throughput that we need to meet the business plan that the that the that the facility is going to have. So we have uh, operational considerations as well. This is a non sequitur, but like it's, it's not. It's rolling out of what you're saying, but it's on the side. Uh, that that waiters, swimmers, and divers. I feel like could apply to like. Every form of media. I instantly thought of like Absolutely. Halo yep. and like the people like, oh, I just play a little multiplayer to the people who are like, I am reading all the books and I know everything that's going on. Right. Star Wars fans. Yeah. I'm just using my own nerdoms here. You absolutely. Know, like, no, that's absolutely that true. And, yeah. and, and so, it, it, uh, and we actually think there's a fourth category sometimes, especially Ooh. in theme parks. Uh, we call them mer people because <laughs> they live down there and they've grown gills and they probably haven't breathed there in a while and and you know what the, 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 I know some of those yeah we, I think I am one of them for certain things but but that category and even the very top of the pyramid those are the ones I think the way you deal with the recalcitrant is may, maybe aiming towards them a little more if not across the whole piece, then at certain points of the piece, to make sure that everybody gets uh, an aha moment. Yeah, the thing we talk about is mm. is seducing people up the pyramid. Right. Mm. It's, you know, for, for brands, for a park, for whatever. For seducing a people underwater. Yes. <laughs> um, we are we're getting, Yeah, we're getting a yeah. little siren here. <laughs> <laughs> Crash onto my rocks! Yeah. So... <laughs> So it's it's what is <laughs> for kind of the the um, uh, immersive theater world. It's it's the what can you do to kind of make it more tempting for those people that are scared yeah. and are like uncomfortable. And what can you do like the things that just that ease the way just a little bit without compromising your vision, without compromising the story. Yeah. What are the things that that both make it easier for them to take a step in and make them want to take the step in? So many people. They, they wonder, is this going to be scary? You know, and particularly because the, the, yeah. the dialectic of, of this is often pulled out of haunts. I mean, the easiest way to explain sleep yes. to someone, it's, it's, it's a haunted house haunted by Shakespeare. Right. You know, <laughs> right? And it's like, you, but, but you're, we are the monsters because we're the ones wearing the masks. Right, right, right. right. You know, like, we're the ghosts that are haunting this place, uh, which you also kind of like realize is part of the conceit. But... Um, yeah, like how do you, you know, I see people worried when they go to an escape room. I mean, there are some escape rooms that are like horror themed escape rooms. Right. And it's like, oh yeah, you, you, there's a serial killer in here. There's others where it's just like all, oh, you're, you're, you're oh, in a yeah. Soviet spy room. That's one of the it. best ones we've seen in town was one that had no scare at all. And it was yeah. a very high tech and cool. Uh, Tubit Circus, uh, Brent's story room was uh, was did, amazing. Did I haven't seen the new version of it? I've seen the I saw the beta, and now I've walked through the new version, but I haven't got to play it yet. Did you? Did you? No, see we saw. Like, I don't know what. Did you hear about five months ago? Did you yeah. like this was the yeah. news like today or yesterday? Did you? Yeah, David yeah. Buster. Yeah, David Buster. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. That's that, great. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and, then, and, and that's that's and massive. I, it was awesome, and we were super excited. And I also was like, darn it, because we've been pushing those kind of uh, entertainments like escape rooms as a form of immersive theater yeah. for a long time. We've been trying to find the right outlet for it, and I think him partnering with a venue like that is so great because it gives a validity and an authenticity that's not a haunt yeah. that's not a pop up yeah. and that tries to say does this have a business plan because as, as much as we like to talk about the techniques and things and, and the artistry of it at the end of the day if we're going to build it as a thing it has to be a, a business yeah. well and and on on that one 
you know, I just did a NPR story a little while ago about uh, escape rooms and talking about like the, the people who are starting them up and, and they've got business models and they're starting to franchise. And, you know, there's there's a group here that has like six here in L.A. and like one or, or a couple and they franchise into Austin. They're starting mm-hmm. to franchise in Chicago. And like I almost feel like what's what Brent and company have done, it's just going to it's going to accelerate that. Like it's going to help establish this as a as a form yeah. and, and build even more of the market. And I keep on thinking in terms of like. You know, there's only so many people who can make it to the resort destinations for, mm-hmm. for themed entertainment stuff. Um, I mean, there's definitely only so many people who can fly to Macau or Hong Kong yeah. or, like, China, right? And, like, and that's really to serve, like, the market that's over there, which is massive mm-hmm. and keeps going bigger. Um, and it just becomes, like, well, you're going to have to start take this stuff and put it out into the, into the, re- the real world. You're going to have to, like, start enchanting... Well, what, yeah. What do you do when the world is themed, right? Yeah. That's it's when if ever it's if everything's special and magical, then then nothing is. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Um, I kind of want a little bit of of uh, magical realism in my world on a daily basis, and that's one of the things we talk about too. Are there ways we can create experiences that are in a physical place, in a location, that get you to go there? Yeah. But that have a halo effect either digitally on your mobile device, um, transmedia, additional content that you get later, uh, a a, a magical thing you buy at the place that you can use later on. Um, Is there a way to extend that experience until later and get me to go back? I mean, a very simple sort of totemic version of that is the mask I got from Sleep No More. It's on my desk and everybody says, what is that? And I get to relive that experience all over again by telling them all about it. I didn't realize that you can keep your mask. So oh. people that were piling them up and like putting them in. So I, was like, oh, I guess no. we turned them in like bowling shoes. Oh no! Um, oh. Which at the price of those tickets, <laughs> you should realize you get to keep the mask. So, right. but now I guess I have to go back to oh. get my mask. So. Oh darn! I'm gonna go to New York anyway, right? Like, it's inevitable. Um, where did where did it take this? There's so many there's so many places to run here. What so what does everyone? You know, what do you guys look for? And then, so the, here's here's the three topics. Yeah, we'll choose your own adventure. Uh, we'll get hit all of them, but in, in whatever order. Uh, what do you guys look for in an immersive? Like what what gets you going? Right. I'm really interested in that. I think the creators of this stuff are out there who are experimenting or avant garding They want to know mm-hmm. what what you guys would be. You guys would definitely be swimmers and divers, but they're they're definitely interested in what you guys have on that. And then. Um, I do want to get around to this, this idea of like the, the people who are working in this space and even like how the people in the immersive world, because so many of them are artists, you know, this is their side thing. This is the thing they're trying to build up, but they all have day jobs. And there's, there's this other world here where you guys are like building in front of people. Not that I'm saying like, oh, where do they send resumes? I'm not, I think that, but like, <laughs> but like what, what sort of skills should people be cultivating if they're looking, you know, what kind of, what kind, what kind of, Hunger is feeding this machine because I did not know that the themed entertainment and the experience design industry was as big as it is, and like, and I'm seeing it grow all the time. Yeah, and I mean, and, and now, as, as I uh, mentioned before we started, that the now we've got um, entire university programs based on this thing. Whereas yeah. ten years ago, we used to have to f- sort of uh, really handpick people based on not only their skill set but a passion for this industry a lot of people that that are of my generation have been doing this a long time because we sort of sought it out or stumbled across it in my case Um, but nowadays you have 
Carnegie Mellon has had the ETC for uh, what almost a decade and a half now. It's two thousand, mm-hmm. two thousand one. Universal, or uh, excuse me, uh, uh, USC's uh, IMD Interactive Media Division. You've got um, SCAD Savannah College of Art Design has an old them- has an entire thematic um, design program now. And so now you have two or three. Gen- and in the case of CMU, almost five or ten generations of designers mm-hmm. coming out of those programs with these skills and by by those skills i mean pick the one you think applies because that's that it's it's really great when we get people who come and say i want to design theme park attractions and i'd like to do this and this and this and i go all right well what's your what's your training and what's your core skill set what do you think you're best at because you'll get to play on everything but i need to know what you do and do it really well and and we hire from every discipline I can think of. So um, it really is more about knowing that there this is a multidisciplinary world and and that things and whatever you do could be applied in a way that maybe isn't rocket science or isn't traditional uh, movie and TV set design, right? And, and yeah. also that it's we tend to think well in particular tends to go from multidisciplinary people. Yeah. You know, there there are um, like Disney, for example, you tend to have a more defined job role. You know, you're, you're going to be doing this type of work. It might apply to different, you know, projects and to different types of attractions and all that sort of thing, but you're going to be doing kind of the same sort of thing. You know, we get, um, uh, we've had a guy who, who started in um, the tech department. Um, he's written shows for us for the content department, and now he's moved over to the interactives design. You know, so it's, we, we've, we've got people who do multiple things, you know, a lot of polymaths. But but when but when he came in, he was like He was a T D. Right? He was yeah. like he was like he's he's focused on it. So like you're looking in some ways what the people who can make it in this world are the ones who they're aces at what they do, but they're open enough to the way the other things work that they one, see how their skill set intersects with everyone else's right. and two, because they've got that kind of creativity, they can start kind of working from there. Right. It's it's also it's a challenging industry because it's in in the in all of the design industries. It's the one with the least, the smallest distribution channel, right? Mm. Um, yeah, we're not making a single widget that's repeated ad infinitum all over the world, or or manufactured for um, uh, for millions of people, or even a theater show that tours from in the same style of space from one to another. These are sort of bespoke experiences in one location, and so. If you're at Disney Universal, yeah, you've got the scale and existing uh, sort of real estate to be able to duplicate it in multiple places. That's a that's different. Our stuff tends to be a little more um, bespoke, and because of that, um, it's just not a job. It's not an industry where um, it, we're going to have uh, uh, you know thousands of projects and thousands of employees. And so the the two hundred or so employees we do have to work on the hundred or two hundred projects that we have all have to be firing on multiple cylinders because that's the way it works. Yeah. Um, and, and so in a way, it is that spirit of even a, a theater company. It's like all hands on deck, let's put on a show, right? And everybody's got to be willing to do the thing they do really well, but also understand and communicate with everybody else. I mean, it's it really isn't any different from any other creative industry. A lot of people ask me, what software do you use to create dark rides? I said, well, what software do you use to build a skyscraper because or or, or design a, a car because it's a lot it's the same it's it's yeah. it's computer-aided drafting it's photoshop it's it's spreadsheets script writing it's there's no different there's no specialized piece of equipment what's great now though is all these other industries like 
gaming and Unity and game engines and 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 uh, and interactive video and video mapping and all these these little individual technologies that have been developing in either immersive theater or event work or video games all trickle back to us and we find ways to sort of put them together. So that's the bigger skill set. If you can look at peanut butter and chocolate and put it together in a way that hasn't been done before um, and come to us and say, here's a pr three, three projects I've worked on that are like that, that's the kind of people we, we, where our ears perk up and go, oh, cool. You, <laughs> you think about that technology or that technique or that theater or that, uh, that show in a different way than, than most people do. Just from my experience when I was trying to uh, find my way into this industry, I went to the, um, uh, the big uh, amusement industry trade expo uh, after I graduated from college with my philosophy degree and some great examples. <laughs> and went around to all these different companies and was like, hey, are you any philosophy majors? <laughs> and, uh, How many of them said yes? Uh, apparently one. <laughs> At least one well, company is hiring a, philosophy mm -hmm. majors. But that's a really majors. great example because uh, there are, and then this is this is there are a lot of coaster fans out there. Co coaster fandom is a particular kind of fandom. Oh, it's real, and, yeah. and it's real, and it is deep, and it is fanatic in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and and uh, but there's very, and this is something we talk about a lot that you know you have a the biggest thing that's changed entertainment nowadays in all forms is just user created content. Yeah. The fact that your audience has an audience, right? Um, and that your audience can express their creativity based on your stuff. They can take your movie and cosplay about it. They can take your video game and do a mod for it, whatever they want. How do you express that creativity if you're a fan of roller coasters and theme parks and things that are built in the real world? Mm -hmm. Theater, you can put up your own shows. If you like dark rides, how do you make your own dark ride? Well, up until now, it's been a lot of virtual things. You have things like... Um, roller coaster tycoon and, and there's this great program called no limits which is basically a coaster building program that is so good the industry's adopted but it's a fan-made piece of software and the industry uses design stuff it's crazy there's look it up there's hundreds of thousands of coaster sims out there from they're built by fans and they're slavishly um, detailed so jeremy's website was the sort of writer director version of that it's we saw this writing and we went wait, here's somebody who thinks about what a thrill ride means that's not about engineering. That's about what's the guest experience and what's yeah. the emotional experience and what's the, the lineage of coasters of, throughout history and how each of them approached it differently and is there dots that can be connected there. So it, 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 what we do on the surface, I always tell people we're like, we're a little carny and, and we're a little architecture and we're a little theater. It's kind of a mix of those things. And if you can find a happy balance of those three things that becomes a different product altogether, then that's the kind of person we look for. It's brilliant to looking for. What do you guys look for when you're, you're looking for immersive theater? When you're in in for, shows? Yeah. Like, what, what gets you going? I don't, I don't want to miss from everybody. Maybe Dana hasn't, hasn't jumped in in a minute, so. Um, I like to look for the opportunity, and I was actually going to say this earlier, but I come to this from uh, the way I came to immersive theater was partially like a confluence of weird things all happening at once that kind of went, oh, and light bulbed. One of them was I uh, was writing a paper because, uh, again, I was in really interested in the intersection of like 
theater and the digital space. Mm. So I was looking at identity and identity politics within uh, specifically like the avatars of uh, like mass and MMO RPGs. Okay. Yeah. So specifically, I was looking at World of Warcraft, mm. um, and I was looking at the ways that people retained their identity while also inhabiting a new one. I always mm. play the girl characters. Always. And there's a large percentage <laughs> of girl characters that are always that are that They're are played people. by men. Yeah. A large yeah. percentage, much smaller percentage of women who play men. Really. Much smaller. Huh. Um. Just an interesting fact there's for probably you. A, there's probably but a thesis on that somewhere. I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, but yeah, so I, I love thanks. I love the idea of uh, an intersection between who I am as a person, and this is also how I became interested in transmedia, and inhabiting a character mm. without actually being you know having to do the whole like rehearsing and all that yeah so that's great <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah that that's one of the things i look for in in immersive theater if i can yeah. feel like i'm in it and 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 again it's that seducing me underwater thing yeah um i i'll never forget the moment it happened in in uh, uh in sleep no more for me i got taken by presumably one of the witches, uh, by the hand and run through this sort of cornfield and, and pulled into a little hut and she closed the door behind me, locked the door, and then lifted my mask off and looked me in the eyes and started... She was... I think she was intoning one of the one of the, the witch's soliloquies and uh, it was all sort of mumbly and, and, and sub-vocal and she poured me tea and then pulled a ring open and dipped something from the ring into the tea so power came out and, and then offered it to me and I was like... I'm being asked to, to trust this moment. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and it's physically invasive in that it's invited me privately into a space, yet it's not a haunt. And again, you go back to that idea of it all, people get scared of this stuff. Yeah. If, if the, anything that I get over my trepidation to lean forward and say, yes, I'm being active, yeah. and, it's, and it's emotionally seductive enough for me to do that. That's that, that, when that moment happens, I'm happy. See, for me, it's about the place being a character. Ah, that's, yeah. Because the, there's some really fun, like, immersive theater, um, you know, location-based theater, like, you know, Accomplice, super fun. Like, love taking people on that, and you do, and you solve a mystery, and it's all great, but, like, the the city of L.A. doesn't really speak to you. Right. Through through that, you know. Um, You know, I've seen site-specific immersive productions of Shakespeare where it's like, I wanted to do an immersive site-specific production of Shakespeare. And, like, sure, that's great, and it's experimental and fun, but to me it's not a successful immersive piece of theater. But you get something like Invisible Cities, you get something like Hopscotch, and, like, you know, Hopscotch was amazing in that it managed to make the cars and the city itself, like... This character, where where like I mean, there there were performers on the tops of multiple rooftops, you know, kind of all surrounding you, like the whole city. You were driving past this corner, and I'm like, is that guy handing out pamphlets on this corner that we're turning around? Is he part of the show? Right. Like, is this pamphlet handing an action that's part of the show? Yeah, yeah, that's um, really really yeah. good. That's really valid. The the Brad there's a scene in the Bradbury Building on one of the paths to Hopscotch that absolutely stopped me in my tracks because I've seen that building. Dozens of times, uh, it's yeah. iconic to Los Angeles. It actually, I would say, is sort of the heart beating heart of downtown architecturally in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And they found a way to navigate it for a show that shows it off in a way I've never seen before. They're they're using that like a still or even like 
almost like a gif of it uh, to like drive home the idea, like right there on the website right now. And, 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 and there's a view, they take you to the top floor in the elevator mm-hmm. and you're looking down upon all the levels and it, it's like it's like the most I- I- intricate multi-plane animation shot you've ever seen mm-hmm. and it's happening live in front of your face. Nice. It's so beautiful and you're totally right, that had less to do with the story that was being told and the fact that the building itself was a character that's really, really great. Mm-hmm. And moments like that are very cinematic, even though there's no camera involved. Yeah. It, it, it knocks you into space. And, and, and it also, like, for example, in World of Warcraft, which I've actually never played, read a lot about, um, knew I'd get too sucked into. Yeah. But the reason people get sucked into it is because there's so much world, there's so much to explore. Like, it's not about, you know, gold farming or whatever. It's about, it's about having the chance to explore this place that's new and interesting and and incredible and like the fact that there are immersive theater shows that can make the places that we've lived for however long we've been like new and exciting and have us looking at it in a different cool way like that's that's pretty incredible yeah Yeah. and i mean you think about to to go back to what we do like the themed entertainment world uh the like theme parks like to me that's that's the magic because i'm like I, yes, I like roller coasters, and yes, I like dark rides, and but like I will go, and I just want to like sit on a bench. Yep, like, yep. Uh, yep. You know, I just want to <laughs> diagonally um, oh. in in Wizarding World in Florida. I'm like, come on! I, there's one ride. Yeah, and, <laughs> and a bunch of shops. Yeah, a bunch of shops and 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 F and B, and I will I will spend eight hours just there, which means I'm just giving them all of my money. Yeah. There because I'm like buying more food and my. buying more things, and but I literally because the world is so good. It's so complete. Yeah. Yeah. I had a great moment there where they have this interactive wand game where once you get your wand, you can go to all the shops and windows um, in, in Diagon Alley, and there's um, spells that are little bronze plates in the, in the ground, and you have to move the wand the right way and say the right spell, and it activates a piece of magic inside the windows, and, and, you, and you can activate the space. It's really great. It's a little hard. Yeah. And as a designer, I, I went through two or three of them, and I got really frustrated, and I went, oh, these are too hard. They failed. They did it wrong. It's not easy enough for kids, right? And that's my first thought. Right. So I put the wand in my back pocket and I don't really think about it. An hour later, I'm still wandering around Diagon and enjoying it, and I wander into Nocturne Alley, which is the dark arts section, and I see a kid um, trying to do one of the particularly hard spells, and I see another kid, not a, an employee, come up in robes. They're all cosplaying at this place, um, and another kid comes up and helps him. And I went, oh, God, I, I missed it. This is about mastery. This is not about being easy. This is about kids adv- and learning wow. and, and helping each other and becoming a community of players and a community of students in, in, at Hogwarts. Right, so then I pull my wand out and then I get excited and I try it again and, and, and a, a costumed employee who is a dark arts guy and dark and brooding with his cloak over his head and the name tag, but <laughs> <laughs> cloak over his head, comes up and, and sort of holds my arm and guides my arm and shows me and I get it and I have a moment of fear and I'm like oh I got it and as he's wandering away he's, he's, he slinks away and pulls his cloak out and I say yeah wow that was a, a lot harder than I thought it would be and as he slinks away he under his breath glances back at me and says that's why Hogwarts has a seven year program sir <laughs> <laughs> and at that moment I went they are being so truthful to this IP yeah in terms of the aspiration of what it is to be Magic, yeah, and what it is to be a Hogwarts student, what it is to be a, 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 a wizard. I mean, it's, it's one of those like I would say, Hogsmeade Diagonally is 
immersive theater. Absolutely, one hundred percent. There, there are kids who go there just dressed all in robes every day after school, and will just sit in the leaky cauldron and do their homework. And do their homework in costume. So this is what we're to expect when here? it opens here. Well, they, I think Universal stopped selling. Uh, they stopped selling <laughs> annual passes. I think for that reason, at least this year, because oh. yeah, because they were worried about crowds. But yes, yeah. in, <laughs> functionally, yes, people are gonna. That's what's beautiful about that is that people are using that space. The way they want to use it, yeah. And 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 again, back to the user created content thing we talked about earlier. What is the user created content stuff in a the theme park? Well, there's an example. Absolutely. People going to cosplay. It's it's in, Disney bounding. Yeah. Yeah, Disney, Disney right? Like yeah, it's the, the entire phenomenon. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which is which is amazing. Right. Because um, they're not allowed to wear costumes, so we're going to make our own rules. Find a way. To, find a way to get around it. And yeah. and it's beautiful. It's just like you know, uh, what's that? Uh, at. I was, the, the five injunctions, the five restrictions, whatever that film is, where like, you know, Lars von Trier and like, you know, here are the five rules and you're going to make a movie oh, yeah, with yeah. these five rules. And it's like, you put those creative binders on people and it, it will explode. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Entirely different. Sorry, yeah. different. Yeah. Five instructions. Five instructions. Yeah. How does it apply to us? That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that one. Um, all right. I think, you know, that's a fun place to stop. We've been at it for an hour. Um, we could go on for forever. But, uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, is there any, I guess I'll do, I'll do the generic. This is, this, uh, the fun thing that the podcast doesn't know, I'll pull back the curtain here, is that I, I base some of what I do based on what I get to hear, like, the NPR hosts doing with people. Like, yesterday, Shonda Rhimes is being interviewed, like, behind my desk. She is incredibly funny. And hopefully that interview winds up being as good as it was when I got to hear it before it was edited. Um, and uh, but they'll always do this at the end. It's like, is there anything else, right? And this this won't this never comes on the air in this form. But there's like, oh, hey, you know what? We don't know everything, so we, we can't anticipate the things that you might have be having in your back pocket. Is there anything else about this world that you feel like you haven't had a chance to like talk about? One thing that I think that uh, immersive theater is not necessarily doing mm. uh, is giving, and this is going back both to uh, video games, it's going back to what Dave was just talking about with Diagon Alley or Nocturne. It was Nocturne. Um, <laughs> but giving people the opportunity to learn how to go through the experience and not be hesitant. Like mm. a training round. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. if you... if Oh, yeah. Like, that's one thing that immersive... Like, because I happen to be a deep diver and not a waiter, um, I'm just going to be like, yeah, pers- creepy person who might be the devil across the table from me. Tell me, I is it cool if I sell you my fiancé for a glance in your notebook? Great. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Um, I even know probably where that happened. Yep. That explains why Tom was so odd the other night. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, there there are some changes there. But, um, but for other people, like, for example, if, if I was new to immersive theater and I didn't know who the actors were, who the plants were, and how we were supposed to interact with the space around us, it'd be really great to have a guided experience at the very beginning. It can just be like the tutorial three level. minutes. The tutorial. The tutorial yeah. level in video games is that's, is, that's yeah. that is how you bring in those people who are leaning back and get them to lean forward. You say, Oh, okay you get them to say, Okay, here's here's how you want me to go through this. Com- and then they'll see people do it other ways. 
and feel more comfortable doing that too. For, for me, a cognitive of that is when, when the second you walk through the door isn't part of the experience. Like yeah. one of the greatest disappointments for me with Sleep No More was it was like, okay, we're lining up outside of the building. There's nothing here. Okay, cool. Now we're inside the building and I'm just like, oh, we're, just, we're walking down the hallway. All right, I'm checking in. Okay, I'm walking down another hallway. Oh, I'm zipping back and forth across like a, a dark thing to adjust my eyes. Then finally get to the bar. It's like, okay, now. And I just sat there the entire time thinking, well, walking through. And I was like, oh, there could be something here. Like I wanted to feel like the freaking haunted mansion at Disneyland. I wanted to see the portraits. Right. I wanted to see the portraits of the – when the time I was out, I was like, I want to see the portraits of the cast. Right. So I would know That's who was who. Yeah. And like it would prime me. And it's something they could just like swap out. On. It's like, oh, you know, like – Macduff is no longer so-and-so, swap out the photo. Yeah. And it would introduce you to the world and give you just enough story to go in. And this is a question I asked people when they were going, like my, my pseudo sister went and she, I was like, oh, so was, was there anything like before you went in, did they prime you? Like, yeah, like what did they tell you? And no, this is before I went, yeah. right? And she's yeah. like, oh no, we just, they just threw us in this elevator and then we were in the elevator. And she didn't, she didn't like it all that much, right? It took a long time before she went up liking yeah. one of these immersive theater things. And she's a theater kid, right? So that's, that's something you find that's amusing. But yeah, this lack of like, an initiation. Well, we would talk about this yeah, all the time. You know, like, it's, yeah. yeah. And we're so willing to do that with traditional theater. Like, I'm, I'm a Shakespeare specialist. I do a lot of work with Shakespeare. And we give people program notes. We mm-hmm. give them cast lists and pictures. We give them, you know, lobby displays. We give them plot summaries. Um, because people get scared about Shakespeare. Yeah. And so you want to kind of give them whatever you can to help them feel comfortable. Because, like, we've already done the work in the rehearsal hall. Like, it's the production's going to tell you the story. Right. But... This is this is the crutch for them so that they feel comfortable. That they can believe that they can understand. Yes, exactly. right. We know that they can understand yes. if they're willing to believe. Exactly. Yes. I, I think my my closing thing would be um, that I think it's important for those of us who love this stuff to evangelize about it in a, in an active way. And for me, that means I bring new people to this stuff whenever I can. Um, Personally, because I love showing people cool stuff, especially if it's something I've seen before. I'm like, I know you hate this stuff. Trust me. Come with me. You're going to love it because I can sort of be their Sherpa. I can be that that entry level, right? Um, and, and to that end, video games have done such a great job lately of getting rid of what seems like a training level. It still is a training level, yeah. but it's part of the story. Yeah, right? they're, 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 they're two steps ahead, right? I remember right. five years ago, it's like, oh, God, can we stop with these tutorial levels? Yeah. So you, you can't because each one's slightly right. different, but we can be less obvious about it. And I think those of us that love this can sort of be that tutorial level for yeah. people who don't know it. And, and, it, and professionally, it helps me because I get to watch sort of responses from people. It's uh, We always watch, when we go to parks and things, I'm always watching the audience as much as I'm watching the show because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sort of learning what works and what doesn't, as any you know good theater director will do. I think it also helps when it's people you know. And, and I've found myself mm-hmm. bringing folks... I, I've, I have a friend... Uh, perfect example, I have a friend who hates haunts. He's, he's a scary cat. He hates horror movies. Hates them. Right. Um, <laughs> I convinced him to go to the Queen Mary event with me this year, Dark Harbor, because in the in the, the sort of pantheon of haunts in Southern California, it's the one that's sort of entry level. It's scary, but it's not universal level of detail or, or horror, in fact. It's a little gothic and it's it's got a great mood. It's mostly a mood piece. And the, I think the performers do are really part of that. The performers are really great. And so I said, go with me. You're going to love it because it's not what you think it is. And he loved it. He was scared by it and, and, and a little freaked out. But he realized once you got past this first couple of jump scares that this was all in good fun. Yeah. And, and, and he, he leaned forward. 
And there was a moment where I saw him do that. And, but he wouldn't have done it if I hadn't gone with him and literally held his hand <laughs> and said, come with me because I love this stuff and I want to show you what I love about it. And I told him, hey, if we go through two mazes and you hate it, we'll go home. And two mazes in, I'm like, are you good? He said, you know what, I want to try one more. And to me, this kind of immersive stuff requires a little bit of tryout. It's exactly what Dana said. I think part of the reason this stuff is so hard to design and market and explain and experience for some people is that you just got to do it. You got to try it a couple of times. All right. That was our 29th episode. Gigantic, egregiously long introduction included. Uh, Once again, I'm Noah Nelson. I'm your host uh, at Noah J. Nelson on Twitter. No Persinium can be found on Twitter at No Persinium. Since we're talking Twitter, let's talk about our guests. Thinkwell Group is at Thinkwell Group on Twitter. Dave Cobb is at Dave Cobb. That's D-A-V-E-C-O-B-B. Jeremy is at J.K. Thompson 72, J.K. T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N-7-2 on Twitter. Dana, friend of the show, uh, and might do some interviews for us, so you'll probably be hearing Dana's voice more often. The Fake Dana. I think you know how to spell all of that. D-A-N-A. In case you didn't know how to spell Dana. I don't know. I wouldn't. And Kate uh, has like the best Twitter name ever. Anti-Kate. A-N-T-I-K-A-T-E. Not auntie, but anti. Oh, I said anti, and I should have said anti. You would have you would have known. Sorry. My bad. This show is brought to you by the generous support of Patreon backers who are enabling us to get a microphone for Zay. Yay! Fantastic. If you want to be one of these fantastic people um, and hear me say the word fantastic because I'm a Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who fan, the rarest of all birds, um, you can go to patreon.com slash noprisinium and hook us up with just a dollar a month. A dollar a month makes a world of difference. And um, at the end of this mo- uh, this next month, at the end of the year, I'm going to figure out like some new goals for us because we got to make some more cool shit. Um, or else uh, you should email us, no underscore proscenium at outlook.com. That's how you tell us about the shows and stuff you found. Look, we're in this for the long haul. We want your immersive theater. We want your weird VR narrative experiences. We want your um, interactive games. We want your puzzle rooms and escape rooms. We want your children. We want, wait, no, 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 we do not want your children. I mean, look, kids are fine. They're cool. Uh, I love playing video games with them. Uh, safely online from the comfort of my own home. Uh, no, I'm not that anti-child. Um, I'm, I, I record this just a couple of minutes after, you know, I record the other thing. So I'm still glowing from the industry at the moment. Just remembering it. Why haven't I been thinking of this all week? Um, look, you've got turkey to eat, or maybe I've been helping you avoid your family. Shout out if uh, I have been. Good on you. Next week's episode... Um, I don't know what it is yet, but we're going to have one. We've got a recording session that's scheduled, so I'll, I'll let you guys know a little closer to the date. Thank you all. Uh, 29 episodes so far, and uh, we're just going to – I love doing this, and uh, I love you guys. And uh, until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>